of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So Paul was telling Philemon that the way this faith that we are coming to in you is by acknowledging what is in you that is in Christ. So by acknowledging every good thing. That is why every day you must acknowledge that you are beloved of God. You are chosen. Your life is hidden with Christ. You have an inheritance. You are redeemed. You are loved by God. You have been bought at a price. You are a friend of God. You are a child of God. That's how you make the communication of your faith effective by acknowledging every good thing that is in you. And it's interesting if you do not acknowledge these things, you end up complaining. You are complaining why my brought up in this family? Why wasn't I told? Why wasn't I this? Why wasn't I that? That's because you are not looking at the good things that are in you. And sweetheart, there are only good things in you because you are in Christ Jesus. So please stop complaining, stop murmuring, stop all those things and abound in thanksgiving. So if you spend time in prayer, just acknowledging all the good things that are in you in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians chapter 1 to chapter 3, there are a lot of these things. You are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are chosen, you are loved, you are made holy, you are blameless, you are blessed. Acknowledge these good things. Live in faith and stop living in fear. Wow, that is for a recap, the top stories. So we are looking at unto good works. Now let's just go to Ephesians chapter 2. We just want to read it again. I know we have read it and I've quoted it, but let's just read it again. It says that, For we are his workmanship, or we are his poema, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So that's what we are looking at tonight, unto good works. And hopefully next week we'll look at the last part of the verse. And we'll begin a new and exciting series. So, Brother Paul is telling us that the reason why you are God's masterpiece, the reason why you are God's poem, and this poem is created in Christ Jesus, is so that you will do good works. Now, let's go to Titus chapter 2, the verse number 11 following. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, and this grace is teaching us that we should deny all ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now the verse 14, people, please look at it in your Bible. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a people that are zealous. I like the way purpose in Titus, that are zealous for good works. You must be aggressive for good works. In three, I don't know if I'm getting it right, but to be a near thing. So the way unbelievers are aggressive for money, the way unbelievers are what to make it in this life, in quotes, to be there. The celebrities and the rest, the way people are willing to give up their dignity, expose their nudity on social media, expose themselves all over just so that they will be popular. The way they are aggressive to do those things is the same way we should be aggressive to do good works. And I believe if you read Ephesians 2, verse 10, it's clear that the reason why we are created and Titus is telling us the reason why we are redeemed from iniquity, the reason why we are clean is so that we would be zealous to do good things. Now, this is the order. So it is not your good works that make you safe. And when we get to what good works are, you will know it is impossible to do good works when you are not being redeemed. Good works doesn't mean 
philanthropic you look into that as we continue after this so the fact that you are a philanthropist doesn't mean you are doing good works good works is a product of being redeemed and purified by jesus titus 2 verse 14. i think the last scripture we should memorize <laughs> i know by the way that you memorize the whole bible <laughs> but the verse 14 i want us to really take it for he gave himself for us why did he give himself for us so that he would redeem us so that he would buy us back from the factory of sin and death. And he didn't just buy us back and leave us on the streets. He cleaned us. He purified us. He made us a peculiar person. He made you his poema. He made you his workmanship. He made you his masterpiece so that you will be zealous, so that you will be aggressive to do good works. And we know in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, and I think this is another scripture we should memorize because I know most of us are familiar with it. It's a common scripture. The Bible says, how God, let me, let me read it. I want to get it very accurate. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he puts column over there, meaning it's going to throw more light on why he anointed him with the Holy Ghost and the power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil? For God was with him. Now, this is where I want to coin my definition, or this is one of the scriptures I would coin my definition of good works from. So, one, we note from Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that good works is a product of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and of power upon your life. So, sweetheart, if you are not anointed and you do, in quotes, good, you are not doing good before God. You are just being a philanthropist. And the kingdom of God is not meant for philanthropists. The kingdom or the household of the Father is the household of philanthropists. So you are not being called to be a philanthropist, but you are being called to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. When you have been anointed, then is where you can go about. Listen to what it says. Who went about? So it's like he was the way tax collectors go around, or those who are in charge of inspection of one thing or that, or those who go around collecting dues and levies and levies. The way they go about from house to house, pay your cable bills, pay your TV bills. He was like going from house to house, looking for people to do good things. So somewhere in Hebrews, Paul tells us that, or the writer of Hebrews, sorry, not Paul, because there's a lot of issues about who wrote Hebrews. So the writer of Hebrews tells us that we should stir each other up onto good works. So the way people in the world stir each other up onto jealousy, so some people will be flaunting their luxury just so that they want to communicate that we are better than you, or we are making it in life, or we have got something you don't like, or you have got something you don't have. The way people are so aggressive on displaying all that they have, just so that they can provoke people to jealousy. Hebrews tells us we should provoke people to do good. You should provoke people to do good. That's why the Bible says Jesus went about anointed for good ways. So now I want to give a story in the Bible that helps with the clearer definition of what these good works are. You remember, I've given you a hint. And the first thing about these good works is that they are a result of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and of power upon your life. Let's go to John chapter 5. I'm coming up with my definition for good works. John chapter 5, the verse 1 following. And I read, it says that, And there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there sat at Jerusalem, by the sheep market a pool, which is in the Hebrew tongue, Bethsheda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of weak 
folk, of blind, of withered people waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease the person had. Now, when I was doing a little bit study on this particular scripture, I came across something that people, or there's a school of thought that what you know what happened was that there's a particular pool called the Pool of Bethsaida, then in, in Jerusalem at that time, and around the pool where people were made up of all sorts of sickness in the world. And what happens is that once a year, at a particular season, an angel comes to stir up the water. And immediately, the angel is then troubling the water or stirring up the water. The first person to enter into the water, whatever disease, whatever, the underlying word is whatever. So even if you are dead, and when the angel stirs up the water, you're able to jump into the water as a dead person, you will come back to life. Now, there is a school of thought that it was a tradition that they had, you know, that it was a myth that they had, that, but they, it wasn't really an angel of God that really stands up. But I would like to stick with the Bible. And when John was writing this, he clearly didn't state that it was perceived by the people. He clearly stated that in a verse 4, for an angel went down at certain season into the pool and troubled the water. John didn't tell us that it was perceived or it was a tradition or it was a custom or it was and known something among the people, a convention that, oh, the water becomes trouble and they assume it to be an angel. So from what John is telling us that we can be confident that it was actually an angel that goes and stares at the water. That's just a little commentary. Now in verse 5, that's where our, our perusal is, our concentration is. A certain man was there which had an infirmity for 38 years. My God, I'm not yet 38 years. But I don't think that I want to be in a disease state for 38 years. I'm not even 38 years, but I see myself as a big man. <laughs> and I'm not yet 30. So you can imagine 38 years of being having an infirmity. And then verse 6, when Jesus saw him, and Jesus knew his condition that he had been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made whole? Now at verse 7, this is where the, the spotlight is on. The man answered and said, Say, I have no man. Wow. Let's just read it. So I have no man that when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. For while I am going, or while I'm about to enter the pool, somebody steps before me. Then in verse 8, Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. So my definition of good works is this. Now, once a year, from what John tells us, an angel of the Lord comes to stir up the pool. So it was the message of God to provide healing for people at that time. But the healing was just limited to once a year, and it was just limited to one person. So if you're the second person, sorry. Now, God had made a supply of healing available, and there were people all around who were having all sorts of deformity. But now when Jesus asked the man, do you want to be made whole? The man gave a very interesting answer. The man's response was that, Sir, I do not have a man. So now the man was equating his wholeness to the availability of a man. And he has given us an insight into the agenda 
or one of the key purposes of human beings. Human beings are vessels. So yes, so there was a supply available, there was a healing available, and there's a man who is in infirmity. But the issue is that there's a link that is missing from the supply of God to the needs and the deficiency of people. And the answer to that is a man. So my definition of good works is a work that connects the supply of God to the deficiency or the needs of men. I take it again. Good works are works that connect the supply of God, the provision of God, the the, the healing of God, the virtues of God to the needs of people. Those are good works. That is why you must be anointed. And that is also why you must be in Christ Jesus. At second Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, For God was in man, reconciling the world unto himself. So now, I just came up with another definition of Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the meeting place between God and man. That is why Jesus said that nobody can come to the Father except by me. Because the only way any human being can get into contact with divinity, with deity, is in a location called Jesus Christ. That is why you were created in Christ Jesus. That's what we did, that's what we dealt with last week. Created in Christ Jesus. So from this one, my definition of Jesus is Jesus is the meeting place between deity and humanity. That is why good works are works that are procedures who have been anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. So when you meet God in a place called Christ Jesus, you become that link, you become that channel through which God flows into the lives of people. So man, or a human being, this is my definition of man, for divinity to flow on the earth realm, that is why it's important that we pray. That is why God is always in search of a man. That is why when God had a soul, whenever God has an issue to solve, his answer is always a man. That is why when Adam fell and Adam was in a state of death, Adam was in darkness, Adam was death. The solution to the cry of man, the solution to the redemption of man was the man, Jesus Christ. So John tells us that, but we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, I think, or verse 5, it says that for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. He says, the man, Jesus Christ. So when God had an issue and he wanted to solve it, his answer was a man, Jesus Christ. When the people of Israelites, when the Israelites, sorry, were in bondage for 400 years and they needed a solution, the Bible said, and they cried to God. And after God heard their cry, God did not send an angel. God did not open the heavens and, and catch Pharaoh or neither did he send some some wind to blow Pharaoh away, but God sent a man named Moses. And last week, we also looked at, or last week, sorry, we looked at the man Didion, when the Israelites were being bamboozled by the Midianites, and they cried unto God, that God, where is the God who delivered our father? The answer of God to those people was the man named Gideon. And this is the message of God to us this morning, that man, you are a platform for the expression of God. Anything outside of this is a wasted life. And I take it again. Any life, any day you spend in this earth without being a channel through which God flows to meet the deficiency and the needs of people, 
you are living a wasted life. That is why you cannot but preach the gospel. And I've said this over and over again, that many people think that we are doing this because we want to become pastors or we want to become ministers or one thing or the other. Absolutely nothing. It's just because we have come to the realization that my life is not my own. I'm just a vessel. And this is exactly what Jesus said, that a body you have prepared for me, lo, I come in the volumes of the book it is written of me, O Lord, to do your will. So Jesus realized this thing, that the only reason why he's alive, the only reason why he was qualified in quotes to be a man, it was because divinity needed to make a supply and they needed to be a channel named man. These are your good works. So your good works is a work in which you connect the supply of God to the needs of people. So the reason why the world is in a state in which it is, the reason why today there is demonstration, today there is assault, today there is racism, today there is senseless murder, today there is pain, is because a man is not answering the call of God upon his life. There was a book, I forgot who wrote the book, and it was like, he was he saw God, not God, God, but he saw someone on the throne. And then interestingly, he saw certain beams around the throne. So initially, he thought those beams were angels. But as he looked closer, he realized those beams were like babies. And it was like, whenever somebody prays to God, the answer that God gives in response to the prayer is that God gives a baby to a parent or to a couple. So your presence on this earth is because somebody prayed for something through which God needs you to be on this earth make a supply so sweet that there are people who are crying that who will help me to fulfill my dream and just as this man who was in captivity for 38 years and his solution was that say i need a man so the man realized that even though the supply of god is there and he is in need the reason why he cannot enjoy the supply of god is because there is no man the reason why people are going through pain the reason why people are going through sufferings the reason why there are senseless murders the reason why there's so much the is not even enough there's so much anxiety, there's so much frustration in this world. It's because certain people are not answering the call of God upon their lives. Imagine how long the Israelites would have cried if Moses decided not to answer. Imagine how long we would have suffered in sin if Jesus did not decide to come. So in Revelations, we see what happened in heaven. That there was a scroll that needed to be unlocked, a scroll with seven seeds. And the Bible said, who is worthy to unlock this scroll with seven seeds? And there was silence in heaven because there was nobody worthy. Then John looked and saw a lamp as though he was as though he was slain. And that lamp became the answer to humanity. The reason why there's pain is because you are not refusing or because you are refusing to answer the call of God upon your life. This is the good work that God has created you for. This is the reason that God has redeemed you and purified you because he needs a vessel through which his supply can be made. So the issue is not about God being, not, the issue is not about God being handicapped. Many people are crying like, God, where are you? God, why did my father die? Why am I not able to pay my school fees? Why am I lonely? Why am I depressed? Why am I this? And the answer is not in heaven. The answer is in you. You 
are the channel that God is looking for. So whenever people cry that God, I need help, God is also crying out of heaven. And God is saying that I need a man. So in Ezekiel, he said, I'll suffer for a man to stand in a gap. I need somebody to stand in a gap. So whenever people are crying to heaven, God do this. God is also crying to the earth. I need a man. Sweetheart, wake up to the realization that you are not on this earth to have a fun time. You are on this earth to be a channel to which God finds expression. That is why you must be zealous. You must be aggressive to do good. So whenever people are crying to God for help, God is crying out back to the earth realm, saying that I need a man. You are the answer to the cries of many people. There are many people going through pain because you have decided not to respond to the call of God upon your life. That is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, we'll be going there. The Bible says that who lights a candle and puts it under a bed or under a basket, but when you light a candle, don't you put it on the center table for everybody to see? What is Jesus saying? Jesus did not just save you to put you under a bed or to cover you up. You see, many of us have developed something like, oh, as for me, I'm called to be in the background. No, I'm not on the spotlight. I'm just called to, we have so sort of philosophies. I, I wish I could say, I've called it to the background. I, I don't know which ministry is called the background ministry. Sweetheart, nobody's called into any background though. The Bible clearly said that you are, a, we even get there, you are a city set upon a hill. Which city set upon a hill is hidden? You are the light of the world. You think God will light you up and just put you under a bed? You see, many of us, we have that thing in the name of humility. Oh, as for me, I'll be at the back. I'll be supporting. I'll be pushing you up. Please, you have not been called to be a, <laughs> a supporter. You have been called onto the forefront. And Matthew chapter 5 and 16, I think we should, we should even go there. And this scripture is giving us the threefold manifestation of our good works. And it says that, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill cannot be hid. God did not call you to hide you. God did not anoint you to hide you. God did not anoint you to be at the background. God did not anoint you. God did not redeem you and purify you for you to stand at the back of the church, for you to be a dandruff in the body of Christ. You have been called to be a city that has been set up. On the hill, you need to be seen by people, you need to be felt. That is why our good works, I like to categorize them into three salt, light, and city on the hill. And one of the main things about all these things is that we have been called to influence. So salt influences the soup, light influences its surroundings, and the city is prominent. It is cannot be hidden. That is why in the parable of the talents, the guy who had the one talent, he went to hide it. So whenever you are hiding any ability that God has given you, whenever you are hiding yourself in the name of humility, you are insulting God. You are causing pain to people. That is why there was a man who was at the pool of Bethsaida for 38 years because there was no man that was willing to respond to the call of God upon his life. And the reason why there are people in our communities that cannot go to school, there are people in our communities that are walking on the highway to hell, there are people in our community that are going through pain, there are marriages that are breaking up, there are institutions that are failing, there are judicial systems that are corrupt, there are state institutions that are that are just making a mess is because there is no man. So once we are crying to God, God is also crying to you that I need a man. 
you have been called to be the light light gives insight light makes things clear light gives direction so immediately you are in a room and the room is dark immediately the light comes on you have clarity you know what to do you know where to go and the bible is saying you are the light of the world that means that one good work one or one manifestation of a good work is that you must bring clarity into the lives of people you must give people direction in life you must give people insight in life so when people are in a situation and they don't know whether to marry sister a or sister b when people are in a fix in their life and they don't know what to do you have been called to be the light of the world you have been called to bring direction you have been called to bring sight you have been called to bring illumination into the lives of people you have been called to be a salt. You have been called to preserve the food or to preserve the stew or to preserve the soup or whatever meal it is. And you have been called to give taste to it. So, sweetheart, the reason why you have been called to be a lawyer is because you have been called to preserve the judiciary system. The reason why you have been called to be a teacher is because you have been called to preserve the educational system. The reason why you have been called to be a counselor is because our marriages are failing, our families are being destroyed, and God needs a man that will be the salt in marriages. God needs a man that will be a salt in our health sector. God needs a man that will be a salt in the finances of people. God needs a man. So people are crying that who will help me pay my school fees. People are crying that I've been sick with this. My family has been plagued with diabetes. My parents all have died because of cancer. My family, we don't pass the age of 40. And somebody is crying that God, when will you come to me? God is also crying. I need a man to respond. Will you be that man? And the Bible says that you have been called to be a city that has been set upon a hill. You cannot behave. You have been called to prominence. You have been called to importance. You have been called to stand out. You have been called to be a hope giver. You have been called to be a lighthouse. Stop doing things in the name of humility. Oh, as for me, oh, you know, I'm not that kind of person. It's not the phlegmatics. Their, their temperaments are kind of like that. You know, the cholerics are mostly leaders and outspoken. But whatever your temperament is, you have been called to be the light, to be the salt, and to be a city that has been set upon the hill. This is one reason why, as a graduate, let be unemployed. Now, let's, let, let's just study something. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4. Listen to something very interesting the writer of Proverbs tells us. He says, labor not to be rich. In other words, do not work to be a rich person. <laughs> but labor, he's saying labor. So please, are supposed to labor, you're supposed to work. But he's saying, do not work to be rich. And look at what he adds. He says, cease from your own wisdom or cease from your own understanding. He said, do not work to get money. And somebody will be like, hey, so then what should I work for? He says, relax. Do not lean on your own understanding or cease from your way of thinking about life. But Brother Paul gives us what we are supposed to labor for. You know, Proverbs gives us, Proverbs started something that do not work to be rich. But he didn't tell us what we should work for or why we should work. But Brother Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, answers that question. So now, Ephesians chapter 4, the verse 28, Paul answers why we should work. He says that, let him that used to steal, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, that which is good. Why? Why is Paul telling us to labor and work with your hands? That he may have to give to him that needs. Huh. So the reason why you must, the reason why you should work is not because you want to feed yourself. It's not because you want 10 cars. It's not because you want to buy a private jet. It's not because you want to give your children good education. But the reason why you should labor is so that you can have to give 
This is the reason why you should be a billionaire or a millionaire or a trillionaire. It's because you can have enough to give. So you don't labor to amass wealth for yourself, but you labor to have to give. And I always say this, you should have people that you adopt and pay their school fees. You should. That is why you must work. You see, one of my spiritual instructors, Bishop T.D. Jakes, he likes to give this example. He says, even the Garden of Eden had four rivers that were feeding a garden. So we have Pison, Gison, and I think if it is about four rivers, so one garden, God gave that one garden four rivers. That is why as a believer, you should have multiple streams of income. So that your small Garden of Eden, the place of God's delight, your life is the place of God's delight. You should have at least four streams of income so that you can have enough to give. That is why Hebrews, as I said earlier, says you should stir each other up for good works. So, for example, I come and visit Mama Bene, and I come to a house, I realize there are children running all around. I say, hey, Bene, you have four kids. Maybe I'm prophesying that you got four children. <laughs> but yet still, you are paying the school fees of 10 other children. So because of what Bene is doing, it is staring me up that that one extra child I'm paying the school fees, I can do more. So I'm going to look for more children to pay their school fees. I'm going out more to help people. So labor not to be rich. That is why you should not be a lazy Christian. That is why you should not be an unemployed graduate or an unemployed person. You must look for not look for money, but you must labor with your own hands, not to buy a car, not to own a house, but so that you can have to give zealous unto goodness. If you're an elder sibling here, you must be sending your younger siblings credits or airtime regularly. I know, I'm the last born, so maybe I'm seeing that of personal. <laughs> but just recently, I was doing some budget, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me in my inner tuition that I should be setting aside money every month to give to my younger cousins. It's something that you must do. You should be zealous to do. These are just fringes. This is not really the, 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 the deal, but these are just small small thing that they should be at your fingertips these are not even a good way but these are just like teasers you should be serious to do good things you should that is why the psalmist calls us that we are the battle axe of the lord you are the battle axe of the lord it is through you that god wants to conquer nations that god wants to conquer systems that god wants to conquer mindsets that god wants to conquer strongholds in the lives of people and these are what you have been created for so in first john chapter 3 verse 8 the bible tells us that for this purpose was the son of man made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil and i came to announce to you for this purpose that god has given you life brother for this purpose as god has given you life sister so that you would destroy the works of the devil in people's life people are being bamboozled by sickness people are being bamboozled by poverty people are being bamboozled by mindsets by strongholds, by depression. And God is looking for arrows. The Bible says that just as the children to a man are like an arrow in the quiver. So it is through the arrows, through your life, that God wants to conquer systems, that God wants to conquer institutions, that God wants to flow into the earth. Realm. And these are the good works that you have been called into. That you are the light of the world. Stop hiding yourself under a bosom, but set yourself on the stage so that your light may appear unto all, that they will see your what good works. But remember, that light is the light of the Holy Spirit. That is why our good works are just reconnecting to the supply of God. Say, I have no man. 
I would like to pause here, even as I invite my friends to give their commentary on created onto good works. And we'll start with Ben. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Yeah, and I know today we've learned a lot from our study tonight. Okay, I have learned a lot. And there's just a little that I would like to add. Um, I think it's very important as Christians that we take note of these words of encouragement. Because we have to understand that um, God brought us to this earth for a particular purpose. And uh, we were created in Christ Jesus to fulfill a specific assignment. Just as Sam was saying that anytime somebody prayed from the story told, God would send um, a baby to a particular couple. We are, so you are an answer or we are answers to people's prayer. And we can't afford to let God down. Yeah. So just as God is our hope in heaven, we are also God's hope on this earth. And the book of Ezekiel, Bible said that God sought for a man to stand in the gap for the people. Yeah. So it's not just about looking at your circumstance and then your life, but in your little small way, there's something that you can do. And your size even doesn't matter yet. Yeah. It's the size of your God that really matters. When you look at this current pandemic that has engulfed this world, you know that um, it's a virus that we can't see. Uh, you can't see it with your naked eye, but it has been able to cause so much havoc to this world. It shut down industries, companies, and shut down nations and a whole lot. Yeah, but yes, we can't see this virus. So. Your influence is not based on your size or the circumstances that surround you, but your influence is based on your ability to find your place in Christ Jesus and fulfill your assignment. So I just want to entreat us that we should keep on doing good. That we should study the word and know what it actually means to be in Christ Jesus. And I think if we fulfill our assignments, you are going to be a helping hand to a lot of people in this world. And this would help bring a lot of people to the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen and amen. Sweet, I do not take your life for granted. This is That's why it's, it's so sad when I see how people are so careless with the gift of life. Because they have not come to the realization that they are the answer to the cries of people. Mama Bene, kindly give us a commentary. All right. Um, thank you very much. Um, I read a book by Miles Monroe some time ago, and it's, it's called In Pursuit of Purpose. And in the book, he made a particular illustration that, let's say, God is a manufacturer of a product, and, and he brings this particular product to people. And as I read it, I had this imaginative thought that, um, let's say, God makes a particular product, and when he brings a particular product to this world, mankind or your family, your friends, they are the consumers. People have the perception that, oh, um, I came to this world to worship God, so it's like it's just me and God. But God brought you here to this world as a product so that you benefit the consumers. And the consumers is um, mankind, your family, your friends, and people around you. So God brought you to help 
your fellow people around you. So um, we can link it to um, Apple. The, um, most of us know it. So yeah, the Apple products. So when the manufacturers make an iPhone, even though the iPhone brings glory to Apple, yeah, Apple has made them a very good product. The product is not for the Apple manufacturers themselves. The product is for the consumers, those who will purchase it. And when they purchase it and they use the iPhone, they get satisfaction and they recommend this particular iPhone to their friends and they give reviews and all that. So God has brought you, you and I here to this world so that will be like iPhone phones to let's say our fellow human beings so that will serve a very good purpose and then will be beneficial to our fellow brothers and sisters around us and as we are being a blessing to our fellow brothers and sisters around us we bring glory to god so iphone is getting all glory not because they just made the phone but because it's beneficial to the users and the users are giving a good review this iphone is good and all that it has good camera quality and as a result of their good reviews and their good comments iphone is the company and the manufacturers are getting the glory and they are being praised and the, the company is running and going on and on and on. So yeah, you are brought to this world to serve a purpose. And in your worshiping God, in your bringing glory to God, you serve as a, you, you serve as a beneficial um, product to your friends and your, your family, those who are around you. Yeah, thank you very much. God bless you so much. You take the final one from Baba. Okay, thank you. I say that we are created unto good works because we are God's masterpiece, for example, and then we are created in Christ Jesus. So it is expected of us, like we have no option than to do good works. We have to show good works in every aspect of our lives to people we come into contact with and throughout everything that we do, we must exhibit good works. Like we've learned that good work does not guarantee our salvation, but as a result of we being saved, we must show good works like they should follow us. So we being God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, we definitely have no option than to show good works of Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you all. So in, in John chapter 9, Jesus said that I must work the works of him that has sent me while it is day, for night cometh when no man can work. Sweetheart, somebody has sent you to this earth, and as long as he keeps qualifying you for life, it's because there is a work that you must work, and this work is a good work. And remember the definition of a good work. A good work is a work in which you connect the supplies, the virtues of God to the needs and the deficiencies of men. And you must realize that there's only a small window in which you can do these good works. So Jesus said, I must work while it is day. There's a daytime in your life. There's a day season in your life. And this is the opportunity for you to be zealous to do these good works. Because whether you like it or not, there's a night season of your life. I really get worried when I see how people are being casual, being casual and passive with the gift of life. If only they knew that the only reason why they are qualified for life is to do the work of him 
who has sent you. Be obsessed about doing good works. Be obsessed about it. How God anointed Jesus Christ of another who went about doing good. For this purpose was the Son of Man. And now we are in this Son of Man. It was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Sweetheart, you have been called to destroy the works of the devil in the family system. You have been called to destroy the works of the devil in the educational system. You have been called to destroy the works of the devil in your family. You have been called, you have been anointed with the Holy Ghost and power so that you would go about and do good. Be available for people. Be that listening ear for people. Be that light. So when people are in a relationship fix, when people are in a marital fix, when people are in a career fix, when people are in a purpose fix, be that light that gives them direction, that gives them clarity, that gives them insight. Be that salt that gives taste, that gives flavor, and that preserves. Be that city that you have been called to prominence, that you have been called to be an example, that you have been called to stand out, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We would like to take our word of prayer from Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul prayed a prayer for the people in Colossae. And it says, starting from verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire her that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Oh, Jesus. I wish I could talk about this. <laughs> to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So that's what will happen. The reason why he's praying that you have the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord to all pleasing. Listen to the verse 10. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Ah. Paul is saying that I am praying for you so that you have the knowledge of God's will for your life. You will know why God has qualified you for life. You will know why God has given you the privilege to see another day. Paul is praying for the church that you should know the will of God for your life. You should know the knowledge of his will for your life. You should know why God has given you that talent. You should know why God has given you that beauty. You should know why God has given you that ability. You should know why God has given you that temperament. It's not for you to make a name for yourself. It's not for you to make excuses, but it's so that you would walk worthy of the Lord in all pleasing, so that you be fruitful in every good work and you would increase in the knowledge of God. We want to spend time in prayer that God give us the knowledge of his will, that Father may be filled with the knowledge of his will. May we know why you have qualified us for life. May we know why you have made us tall. May we know why you have made us short. May we know why you have given us this beauty. May we know why you have given us this singing ability. May we know why you have given us this writing ability. May we know why you have given us this creative ability. May we know why you have given us this art, why you have had these skills that we are able to put things together, that we might be filled with the knowledge of His will. God did not qualify you for life to eat, to get married, to give birth, and to die. There is more to your life. You are a masterpiece. You are the battle axe of the Lord. You are the arrow of the Lord. 
through which God wants to conquer systems, through which God wants to conquer territories, through which God wants to disarm principalities and powers, through which God wants to bring down strongholds. And the Bible says that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, and you must have this in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will be fruitful in every good will. You will be fruitful in every good way, even as we increase in the knowledge of God. Father, I pray for ourselves and everybody listening, that we may be filled with the knowledge of His will, for it is you that worketh in us, both to will and to do according to your own good pleasure. Father, give us whatever desire and to do your will. Just as Jesus said, and lo, I come in the volumes of the book, it is written of me. Jesus said, don't you know, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. When he sent forty disciples to go and look for food, they came back and he was satisfied and they were like, ah, who has brought you food? Because when we are leaving, you know we know you were hungry. But how come you have come and you are satisfied? He says, I have food to eat of which you do not know of. And my food is to do the will of him who sent us. John tells us that the world passes away and the last thereof. But they that do the will of God abide forever. Life is all about doing the will of God. Sweetheart, if God touches you doing anything else outside of his will, you are wasting the gift of life. That is why we must be filled with the knowledge of his will. May your desire not to be named under 30 under 30 or 40 under 40. May your desire not just to be that person, this person, but may your desire be to do the will of him who has sent you. For I must work the works of him who has sent me while it is day. Sweetheart, get up. It's time to work. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless us all so much. We really appreciate it. And we pray that God will fill us with strength. He will fill us with might in our inner man so that we will live out the reality of his word. Remember to give God your best in life and make sure that the only thing you owe anybody is love. See you next week and bye-bye. My soul longs for you, this heart beats.